Before we get started in God's Word this morning, just a couple things that uh, I want you to be thinking about. First off, if you want to cry out to heaven and see God move in a mighty way, man, we have a prayer group that meets at 8 o'clock. And a lot of people say, well, we try to pray down heaven. Well, we don't try to pray down heaven. We try to pray ourselves up to heaven. And uh, I'm going to tell you, if you... uh, you want to join us at 8 o'clock. We meet in the upper room just up there. And uh, we just about got it full. We want to fill it up, overflow it, and go into something bigger. So we hope you'll join us. 8 o'clock. And some of you may say, well, I got, I got kids to get ready. And uh, you know your wife gets them ready. Don't lie. You know you don't have anything to do with it. Get here at 8 o'clock. Pray with us. Let's, your wives will get them ready with or without you. you. You know she's got to get you ready too. She'll just have to get you up extra early. But we'd love to have you at 8 o'clock. Secondly, uh, I've been to Sunday school the last two weeks, and uh, we went around and visited the kids in preschool classes the first week, but the last two weeks we've been to Sunday school. And uh, let me tell you something, if you want a double blessing, get into Sunday school. We have some phenomenal teachers, uh, at least I know of two right now, and uh, Brother Travis Humes and uh, Scott Ogle, they, they brought the word the last two weeks. And so if you're not involved in Sunday school, uh, please come on, join us. And I've seen some of you sitting in here during Sunday school, all right? Don't sit in here. I'm not in here. They're not in here. Go find a class. We want you to join us. I'm telling you, Sunday school's where it's at. It really is. You get that small group. You have those people in there praying for you, loving on you, and uh, get in Sunday school. I'm going to tell you, I promise you, you will not regret it. You say, well, brother, if I go to one class and I don't like it, there's plenty of others. Go find another one. The teachers won't be mad at you. Not everybody's your cup of tea. I got it. They got it. It's okay. We just want you in Sunday school. So come on and join us. We've got men's classes, ladies' classes, couples' classes, kids' classes, youth classes, college and career classes, senior adult classes, you name it. We go from diapers to diapers. (laughs) I'll pay for that one later, I'm sure. you got your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 3. <laughs> oh, Lord, forgive me. Please help me. <laughs> Philippians 3. I know you guys just think by now, your pastor must be the, this super athlete. He loves to talk about running, right? I mean, y'all can just see it. I mean, I just look like the athlete, right? I don't know who that was laughing. But I'll tell you, Paul was one who really enjoyed the analogy of running. In fact, Paul shares it over and over again about this idea of running. In fact, it's all over the New Testament in a lot of his writings. In fact, in Romans chapter 9 and verse 16, Paul says, So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. He goes over to 1 Corinthians Chapter 9, verses 24 and 26, he says, Know ye not that they which run in a race all run, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. Verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. And then in the book of Galatians, Paul says in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 2, he says there at the end, But privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Galatians 5 and verse 7, Paul says there, 
He says, ye did run well. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I have finished the race. So Paul used the idea of racing all the time. He used it in several different gospels because he wanted them to understand that we as Christians, we are in a race. And you got to be intentional when you're in a race, don't you? You see, my kids went to a private Christian school. We were in North Carolina. They went to High Point Christian Academy. And while at High Point Christian Academy, my little girl, she started in the first grade. We homeschooled her that first year. And then she went into first grade, and there was a young man there by the name of David. And David was one of those that I just loved to pick with. He was just, I always loved to grab the class clown and pick with him because in school I was the class clown. And so I just loved to, to gravitate towards those kids. And so here was little David, and uh, I picked around with him, and I called him Slowpoke. And uh, he was actually the fastest kid in the class. And so I challenged him to a race, and of course in the first grade I wore him out. And so every year thereafter, he would come back to me and he'd go, I want a rematch. I want a rematch. So in the fifth grade, we finally had one of the school teachers that allowed him to race me on the track at the church upstairs. And so we got up there and, uh, and we were getting ready to run. And uh, I was sitting there thinking, I'm going to trip, pull, kick, whatever I got to do. I'm going to win this race. I had every intention of winning. Now, thankfully, I didn't have to do any of that. But he was on my heels the entire race. And I finally crossed the finish line. And for some reason, they didn't do a 100-yard dash. They did a whole lap around the track. And so we finished that race. And I had the intention of winning. Every intention of winning. Whatever I was going to do, I was going to win that race. And I won. And he challenged me thereafter. That was never going to happen again. Because he would have beat me the next year. There's no doubt in my mind. He would have beat me. But I remember after the race, I just fell down exhausted. In fact, the, uh, the kids, the teacher went on and took them to class, and I was thankful because they didn't need to see me have a heart attack there for 10 minutes. I was holding my chest, breathing heavy. Oh, I was hurting so bad, but all I could think to myself is, I won, you know. I'm like Rocky, but I'm laid out on the bench, and I'm just holding my fist up in the air like, I won. I won. I beat a fifth grader. But guys, here's the, the purpose in, in telling you that story is we are in a race. And oftentimes we are standing there and as we're running the race, we're not thinking about what our goal is in the end. We're not thinking about what we're trying to attain. We're not thinking about where we need to be. All we think about a lot of times in the race is, man, I just, I'm just glad I'm in the race. I don't care if I come in last place. I don't care if everybody else beats me. I'm just glad I get to be in the race. As Christians, it's not about just being in the race. It's about getting to the finish line. And not about getting to the finish line in your own pace. It's getting there as fast as you can. And you say, well, brother, are you trying to tell me I need to speed up death? No, I'm not telling you to speed up death. But I want to do as much as I possibly can before death happens. I want to accomplish as much as I can for the glory of God before he calls me home. I want to win as many people to Jesus as I can before he calls me home. I want to study the word of God as much as I can before he calls me home. I want to pray for the brethren of the church as much as I can before he calls me home. I've got a purpose and I've got to live that purpose. But let's just be honest. In order to live that purpose, you have to be disciplined. Discipline is something that, now here's some of y'all already thinking. You're thinking, well, he's got a belt on. Is he going to, you know. That's not the kind of discipline I'm talking about. The kind of discipline I'm talking about is whipping yourself into shape so that you can do what God has called you to do. And if you don't discipline yourself, then God will do the disciplining. 
So I'd rather you be in the race and running what God has called you to do. But it takes discipline to run that race. So this morning, we're going to look at five disciplines we must have in racing towards perfection. Look with me in Philippians chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 12. We're going to see first that we have to have a disciplined purpose. He said, not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Isn't it amazing that none of us have attained perfection? Or let me ask this question, better yet. Anybody in here perfect? I'll wait. Anybody? I don't see any hands. The reason being is because none of us are perfect. There's not one of us in here that has achieved sinlessness. There's not one of us in here that has achieved getting to that final goal where we don't fail, where we don't fall short. Now, what's interesting is oftentimes we, we think that we're supposed to get everybody else there, but we forget that we've got to get there. And oftentimes the problem is, is we end up beating people over the head with the big old plank that's in our eye when we're trying to scoop out the little speck in theirs. The truth of the matter is you've got to get your life right before you can help somebody else get their life right. You see, we haven't already attained, but we are working towards that. Here's the truth of the matter. The truth is, is we're working towards perfection. We are trying to be sinless. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5, here's what it says. It says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Paul recognized that he wasn't perfect. In fact, in Romans 7, he says, the things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do want to do, I don't do. Paul himself, the greatest missionary, the one who wrote 13 books of the New Testament, fell short and he knew it. And he was willing to admit it. Every day he was striving to get perfect. Every day he was striving to get away from sin. But guess what? He not, had not yet attained it. Now here's the question. The question says, well, Brother John, we'll never attain that until we get to heaven one day, right? The answer to that is yes. We will never attain perfection until we get to heaven. So if we'll never attain perfection, why are we reaching towards it? That's the question that everybody wants to know. If I'll never be perfect, why am I trying to be perfect? Because in our relationship with God, we want to get closer. Could you imagine if I got married to my wife and we just never talked? How good a relationship do you think we'd have? How many of you would have a good relationship with your spouse if you never talked? Some of your spouses are looking at you going, they already do that. They don't talk. What if you never spent time with each other? What if you never went out together? What if you, what if you just were a certificate of paper and that's all your marriage was? That's not much of a marriage, is it? No, but in your marriage, you have to work at it. Anybody, have, anybody in here have a marriage they have to work on? The rest of y'all just didn't raise your hands because you said my marriage is perfect, right? Then, then come share with me how you got that perfect marriage. I'd love to know. We're all working on marriages. We're all How many of you have perfect kids? Anybody ever got to that point? Please come tell me how you did it. I want to know that miracle. It's just not going to happen. 
So we need help. We, we, we haven't yet attained. We've not come to that perfected state yet. But here's the thing. I want to be a better husband every day. I want to be a better father every day. And I certainly want to be a better Christian every day. And therefore, even though I can't attain that goal, even though I can't reach it until I breathe my last breath, I'm still striving to get there every moment of every day. In fact, that's why Paul says, I press on. I press on. I'm reaching towards that goal. I want to pass the finish line. How many of you want to get in a race and you see the finish line and you just give up halfway through and you say, I'm done. I don't care. I don't care if I ever reach the finish line. Even though I told you about my race when I ran the 800 meters, I still wanted to finish the race, even though about 20 people had already passed me. I wanted to finish. I wanted to cross the line. I wanted to get to the goal. And that's what Paul is saying. We press on. We keep working towards that. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 that God is changing us from glory to glory. God is moving us in that direction. If you're a Christian, here's the truth of the matter. God is going to be changing you. Now, we all love the hymn, Just As I Am, don't we? But do you realize God will take you just as you are, but he's not going to leave you that way. He's going to change us. He's going to grow us. He's going to break us towards that level of perfection, moving us in the right ways. But we got to have a disciplined purpose. He said, not that I have apprehended that for which also I am apprehended in Christ Jesus. You know that Christ is trying to bring you to the point of glory. You see, we talk about the three points of salvation. Anybody know that there's three points to salvation? There's justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now that we've used those big words, let's explain them. Justification is what happens when you get saved. You stand before God just as if you had not sinned. He places his righteousness on you. So the moment that you're saved is the moment that you can go from this life into the next. And God will receive you into his kingdom because of what his son has done for you. You have been justified. But you see, if you're a Christian, you're on that next part. You're on that sanctification. Sanctification means that I'm being sanctified, that I'm turning away from sin and turning towards the Savior. I've been set apart. In other words, I'm no longer set apart to that old man. I'm set apart to live that new life. I'm no longer set apart to follow my own ways. I'm set apart to follow the ways of Christ. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. You see, that's sanctification. Now, glorification, you ready for this? This is what we get when we get to heaven. We receive a perfect body, a perfect mind, and we never have to fear death, tears, sin, anything. That's what we're working towards. That's what we're moving towards. God is going to bring us to that point. But here's the truth of the matter. Some of us think we're just going to teleport from this end to that end. When God is telling you the whole time, I want you walking in that direction, and that's how I'm going to get you there. But I'm going to tell you why people think they can teleport that way. Because they've never got in the race. If you're not trying to change, if you don't want to see God improve your life, if you don't want to see God move in your life, if you don't want to walk closer to God, then I would question whether you have a relationship with him. Because God will change you. You must have a disciplined purpose. Number two, you've got to have a disciplined vision. Verse 13, brethren... I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. You know my greatest problem when I was running? My greatest problem wasn't that I was focused on the finish line. My greatest problem is I was focused on those who were coming around me. I would look back to see if anybody else was about to come past me. And every time you look back, you realize that that slows you up in your race. 
He says this, he says in verse 13, he says, getting those things which are behind, forgetting those things, putting them aside. Now you might say, well, what are those things that he's talking about? Well, I'm going to tell you there's two things, or three things that we're going to talk about. One, he wants you to forget about sin. You say, well, what do you mean by that? I think there's two parts to that. Number one, he wants you to forget about the old sinful lifestyle that you used to live. He wants you to give that lifestyle up. You know, one of the greatest problems for people today is they claim to give their lives to Christ and then they go back into their sin. You realize that Matthew 13 tells a story about that, the parable of the souls, how they get entangled and go back to their old ways because they had no foundation. Can I tell you that's a lost person? 1 John chapter 2, 19 says they went out from us because they were never of us. That's why we can see people coming down and supposedly getting saved and then you don't see them in six months. They don't have a relationship with Christ. And that happens all too often. But we've got to forget that sin. In other words, we've got to put that behind us. Our past is our past. Now here's the second thing about sin. You've got to forget your failures. Oftentimes people will say, well, God can't use me. Do you, do you see who I used to be? Do you realize what I used to do? God wants you to forget about that. If he's forgiven that past, let it go. Let it go. He's not holding that to your account any longer. He says, I've already cast it as far as the east is from the west. I have forgotten that. Let it go. You see, we will allow sin to hinder our walk with Christ. We will hold on to those things where we failed God. And we'll hold on to that old lifestyle. And we'll think God could never use us. And all along he's going, I want you to just walk away. Put it behind you. Let it go. Because when you can put that sin behind you, God can begin to use you. But you got to be willing to. You ready for this? Forgive yourself. you got to be willing to forgive yourself. So the first thing we got to put behind us is sin. Second thing we got to put behind us is personal desires. Personal desires. How many of you have ever wanted to be famous? Anybody ever want to be famous? Any of you in here want to be rich? <laughs> Play the lottery, right? No, 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 no. You think about it, all of us have probably at one time wanted to, to do something big. We, we want something, and we want notoriety. We want people to remember us. You know, that's why I love that casting crown song, I'm Just a Nobody. How many nobodies we have in the church this morning? Any nobodies? I'm just a nobody. And I don't mind saying that. I've got to forget what I want. I've got to forget. When I was a young guy, I wanted to be a lawyer. Did you know that? I wanted to be a lawyer. You say, well, why do you want to be a lawyer? I wanted to be a lawyer because I remember seeing in the school book that they made a lot of money. And then somebody told me they had to go through all this schooling, and I went, I don't want to be a lawyer. I said, I want to be a doctor. <laughs> and then they told me how much schooling they had to go through. I don't want to be a doctor. I'll be an accountant. That way I can look at money. I had all kinds of ideas. I didn't want to put the effort into it. But I had to forget those selfish desires. I had to forget what I wanted to be. I had to remember. There's a passage that's so awesome in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you read the, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, it's amazing. Solomon will tell you, I tried to find it in everything. I tried to find life in women. I tried to find it in money. I tried to find it in buildings. I tried to find it in wisdom. He tried everything you could imagine. I believe if he was here today, he would even try to find fame on TikTok. Or he would tweet. 
He'd do all that stuff because that's what Solomon said, I tried it all. You know what he comes to at the end of the conclusions of Ecclesiastes after he tried it all? He said, I realize that life is vanity. Vanity when I pursue the things of this world. But he said, he come to the conclusion, verses 13 and 14, but I learned that life is about fearing God and obeying his commandments. So if you think you've got to try it all, read Ecclesiastes and see what it takes to try it all. Because in trying it all, you'll lose it all. You won't gain at all what you think. That's what we've got to leave behind. Number three, we've got to leave back our landmarks. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Our Christian achievements. You might say, well, brother, I, I used to be really strong in my Bible study. Well, that used to is not a good word, is it? Oh, brother, I used to have a strong prayer life. Used to, that's not good enough. You see, the problem is a lot of times we'll, we'll live on our past successes. Churches are good for living on past successes. Church members are good for living on past successes. Oh, I used to lead people to Jesus all the time. The question isn't what have you done, it's what have you done for him lately? What are you doing now? Not what have you accomplished? You see, sometimes we got to leave those accomplishments behind. It's not about how many trophies we have. It's not about how many wonderful things we've done for God in the past. It's what are we doing right now? If we're not disciplined to focus on what we've got to do now and stop looking back at what we have done, we will miss the mark. And that's why he says, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. You ever seen those runners that when they're running and they're running so hard and they're running that fast pace and they get to the finish line, they do this, they lunge forward. In fact, I saw a guy win a race. Did you know he won a race? He jumped across the finish line. He was behind, and he jumped, and he won. He tore himself up jumping, but he won. That's the idea of what Paul is saying, stretching forth, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. In other words, you strain with all your might to press on, not look back, to move forward, not look in the past, to do what God is calling you to do. I press on. I'm reaching forth. Luke 9, verse 62, he says, No one having put his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. It's time for us to put the past in the past and move forward. Look at verse 14. We look at a disciplined goal. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. What is the mark you're pressing for? What is your purpose in life? You ever wondered that? God, why am I here? Why did you create me? Isaiah 43, 6 and 7 tells us why. We were created to glorify him. I love the Westminster Catechism. It asks the question, what is the chief end of man? Very first question. What is the chief end of man? Answer, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. That's why we were created. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. What is this calling? What is this mark? What is this finish line that we're reaching towards? What are we trying to accomplish? What do you hope to hear when you get to heaven? Are you hoping to hear when you get to heaven? Well, come on in. That's not what I want to hear. That's not what I want to hear. Do you want to get to heaven and as you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, do you want him bringing up a whole lot of things that you were regretting? Do you hope that you just stand up there and Jesus goes, well, I paid for all his sins, so let him in. 
Are you hoping that God's going to say, well, by the skin of your teeth, you're allowed to come in? That's not, what, that's not my mark that I'm working towards. The mark I'm working towards is I want to hear these words. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. If you're striving for anything less than that, then you need to find a new mark. You need to find a new finish line. You need to find a new purpose. You need to be disciplined to say, this is my goal. This is what I want to achieve. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been on a diet? You're like, you're meddling right now, preacher. All right, let's meddle for a moment. Now, you think about it. You go on a diet. How many of you, when you go on a diet, you set a goal? How many of you reach that goal? And then when you reach it, what do you do? You go back to where you were, right? I reached my goal. I'm good. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I did P90X. I know it looks like it, right? I did P90X. And a buddy, a buddy of mine, he's the one I bought it from, and he, said, he told me these words. He said, you'll never finish it. And I said, thank you for saying that. That's all I needed. Somebody to tell me I can't do it means I'm going to do it. Just going to happen. So if you tell me I can't do something, I'm going to find a way to make it happen. And so he told me that. I did my 90 days. After I finished day 90, I was like, man, I feel so good. I feel so good. I'm going to take a break. Just a week, month, year, five years. Whoo. And so many of us, that's what we do. We set up these goals for our Christian walk, and they're just little goals. They're like, oh, well, this year I want to say I read through one book of the Bible. And we cross that finish line, we go, yay, I read a book of the Bible. I did so good. I accomplished so much for the Lord. Okay, great. Now that you've reached that goal, read the next one. And then the next one. And then here's what you do. Try to read through the Bible in a year. And then once you finish that, read it again. Because guess what? It'll keep speaking. It'll keep moving. It'll keep working. But here's the problem. We as Christians, a lot of times, we set up little small goals. Well, I just want to get back into church. Well, praise God. We are so glad you're here. Now, come to Sunday school. All right? Then when you start coming to Sunday school and Sunday morning, then come on Sunday night. Then come Wednesday night. Just keep upping your goal until you are walking where you need to be walking with God. You say, oh, brother, the Bible doesn't say I have to go to church every time the doors are open. No, it doesn't. But my Bible does say that we're to forsake not the fellowship of the brethren. And we should be meeting together more and more as the day draws closer. And so the closer it gets to his return, we ought to be meeting more. So yeah, you're right. You don't have to come three times. It doesn't say in here that Wednesday night is a prerequisite. It doesn't say those things. What it does say is that you ought to want to come and love on the Lord. And let me tell you something. We'll love on you too. We'll love on you too. Set your goals, but make them good goals. Make them reachable goals and then set higher goals. He says, as I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, it's a high calling. A high calling. Can I tell you something? I never, when I was a kid, had a desire to be a pastor. No desire whatsoever. I hated church. I went because I told you I had a drug problem. My parents drugged me back and forth to church. They just made me go. How many of you kids feel my pain, right? Your parents dragging you back and forth to church. That's a good thing. I'm glad they do that. It's a good thing. I did. I hated church growing up. I had no desire to be a pastor. 
I thought pastors were the most boring people in the world. And some of y'all may still think that. But I did. I had no desire for those things. But you see, here's the thing. When God calls you, and God calls you to Christ, number one. If you're a Christian here, God called you to himself. You gave your life to him. You surrendered to him. God gave you a calling. He gave you a gift. He gave you a purpose. He gave you something to work towards, something to live for, and you need to be doing that. You see, we need everybody doing their part. You may say, well, I've been away from church for a while. Welcome home. Now let's get you started. It's okay. We're ready to put you to work. You say, well, I'm just not know if I'm ready to go to work. Set a new goal. Let's get to work. You see, that's the thing. We've got to be willing to understand the high calling of God. Sitting on a pew is not your calling. Hello? Sitting on a pew is not your calling. You may say, well, brother, I can barely walk. Well, then you can pray. Oh, you can pray, can't you? You see, we got to set goals for the high calling of God. God wants you to press higher and further and go onward. Don't settle for such light goals. Number four, a disciplined mind. Verse 15. Let us therefore as many as are, as be perfect, be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. The word for Neo, have this attitude simply means this, to think this way and to set one's mind on this. You see, if you're not thinking right, you'll never win. If you're not thinking right, you'll never accomplish your goal. If you don't have the right mind, you've already started off on the wrong foot. Remember one time we were playing basketball and we came up against these guys that seemed like every guy was six inches taller than our guys. Can I just tell you what happened? We just went in there and we went, well, we done lost they didn't have to play a lick of basketball. We just thought they'd block every shot that we put up because they were taller than us. If you go in with a defeated attitude, you will already lose. But if you go in with a proper attitude, you can win. you got to have the right mind. He says, let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. When you look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, that's what he says there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He did what? Who being in a form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men. He showed us the mind is to be a humble person. Do you realize that we can't win the race on our own? We can't do it. This church can't reach the entire community if only a few people are doing it. We need all of us working together. All of us. But we got to have the right mind. The mind of Christ is one that thinks positive, not negative. The mind of Christ is one that says we can do this, not standing back saying it's just not going to be accomplished. The mind of Christ tells us that we got to push forward and stop looking behind us. The mind of Christ tells us that we've got to put that sin behind us and start pressing forward to the things that God is calling us to. We have got to have the right mind. And finally, we have to have a disciplined walk, verse 16. He says, nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. There are four divine resources that God has given to you that you might walk the walk that you need to be walking. You ready? Number one. The first divine resource that God has given to us is the Word of God. 
1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. It's always funny to me to, I love babies. Anybody else in here love babies? How many of you wish your kids could go back to being babies? They just want to cuddle up and you can hold them, and, you know. But man, you put that bottle in their mouth, they're going to start sucking on that bottle whether they're hungry or not. I mean, if you want to fatten your baby up, you can. You just put a bottle in their mouth, they'll drink away. Man, how many of us desire the Word of God like a baby does milk? How many of us desire the Word of God as the deer panteth for the water brooks? How many of us want to drink in the things of God constantly? God has given us this divine resource. And here's the thing. Let me tell you something. If you need to go home and do this to open it up, that's a bad thing. Open this book up. God has given you this as a resource to grow you, to guide you, to lead you. If you're going to walk with Christ, then you need to be in the Word of God. The second divine resource that God has given you to help you with your walk with Christ is prayer. 2 Corinthians 13, 9, For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong, and this we wish even your perfection. Paul prayed. Paul prayed for those that were disciples of his. He prayed that God would move in their lives and work in them. Paul prayed that he would be a better man. Isn't it amazing that every time Paul prayed, he prayed to be better himself and the church. The third divine resource that God has given to you is godly examples. Isn't that awesome that God gives you godly examples? I love 1 Corinthians 11.1. If we could all learn to be able to say this and live this, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can I tell you, there are some wonderful men and women of God in this church. It hasn't taken me long to find them. There are some wonderful men and women of God. There are some godly examples in this church that I would absolutely tell you, follow their walk. We need somebody. We need people like that. And Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. You ready? This last one, everybody just loves it. In order to have a, this is a divine resource from God. Trials. First Peter 5.10 But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. You say, brother, that's, that's all my life's been for the last year or two, is trials. Then God expects you to come out really strong. You see, I, I learned a long time ago, there's a question I stopped asking God. You ready for this? Please stop asking him why. Because when you ask God why, what you're basically saying is, God, why me? Why not Mike? God, it's okay if you give it to Terry, just don't give it to me. Lord Travis can handle it, but I don't want it. Why me? Don't ask why. Here's what you need to ask when you start going through a trial. God, what is it you want me to learn from this? Because here's the thing. The moment you learn what you need to learn from the trial, you'll come out of it. But until you learn the lesson, guess what? You're going to keep going through it. So it's better to ask him, God, what is it I'm supposed to learn from this? What is it you're trying to teach me? Help me understand. God will use that to further your walk with him than he will if you're constantly walking the same path. He'll use trials. My question for you this morning is how disciplined are you in the race? I'm going to tell you, here's what happens in church. There are a lot of people that are still standing at the starting line. They haven't entered the race. 
They're just standing there. Some of you may be in that category. You may be saying, you know, I'm down, I'm ready, but I'm just not going to take off. You want to know what it's going to take to get you to take off? Get a relationship with Jesus. Enter the race by giving your life to Jesus. You may say, well, if I enter the race now, what if, I end up, what, what if I'm so far behind everybody else? You're not running anybody else's race. You're running yours. You ain't got to catch up with anybody. The only one you're trying to race to is Jesus. Here's what you can imagine. Getting in the race, the finish line's over here, and Jesus just has his arms open wide ready to receive you. Just run to him. Just go to him. Some of you are in the race. Some of you have gotten a little bit in your journey, and you decided that you're just going to sit down. It's too hard to run this race. It's too difficult to run this race. Things are just so hard, and I just don't know if I can keep going. If that's where you're at, can I tell you something? You need to tell your brothers and sisters in Christ. And you know what's amazing is we'll come right beside you, and we're going to pick you up so you can get back in the race. You don't know why? Because if you think that you don't fall down in the race sometimes, you're lying to yourself. Because every one of us, I guarantee if you've been a Christian for any time, there's been a time where you just wanted to quit. And you just got down and you've just about give up. And if it hadn't have been for somebody else coming and picking you up. And here's the truth of the matter. If you find somebody that's falling down, don't sit there and point the finger at them and go, ha ha, you couldn't do it. That's not who we're called to be. We're called to pick them up. And then if we have to, we run with them for a little while. And we help them and we encourage them and we strengthen them. That's what we need to do. So if you're that one that's knelt down and you feel like you're about to give up and you're about ready to quit, don't quit. Don't quit. We will help you any way we can. I promise you. We won't judge you. We won't point the finger at you. We won't tear you apart. We won't tell you you're weak. Because you know what? We have been in that situation and all we want to do is help you. God put us through that so that we can help you get back up and get back in the race. There's some of you that are about to cross the finish line. But the question is, are you going to cross it finishing strong? Amen. I've had people say, well, brother, I've done my time. I told you before, until you cross the finish line, you hadn't done your time. Older couples, we got some younger couples in the church struggling. They need your example. Amen. Let me tell you something. Even some of us that have marriages that are going well right now, we may need help in the future. Folks, don't, don't think that just because you got gray hair, you're done. Let me tell you something. God says there's a lot of wisdom in that gray hair. And we need it. We need you. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need your encouragement. We need your example. You see, I don't know where you are in your race. But here's what I do know. Is that if you've set a goal, set another one. And then set another one. And then set another one. But here's what I want you to work towards in the end. I want you to work towards getting to the kingdom of heaven and hearing those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. That is what we should all strive for. And if that's what we're striving for, then we need to be accomplishing new things each day, each week, each month, each year, getting closer and closer and closer to God. You're not perfect yet. Oh, but one day you will be. Let's strive to be holy as he is holy. Let's pray. Father, I thank you.